0: We go. All right. This yeah. Quiet. People have
1: to go into it. Oh yeah. We shouldn't interrupt the theme music, right? Okay. Quiet. I'm quiet.
2: Right? All right. Oh yes. Yeah. And we're back, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. that
1: I don't know. You know what? Gross, yeah? uh, the the theme music. Playing while we're it gets me excited. Talking right because we never hear it. Right, I, it gets dropped in later. But this week, because you and I have to go to opposite ends of New England within 30 <laughs> seconds of leaving here today, um, we're uh, going to give him a,
2: a show. Not only that, I have to miraculously pick up my youngest son from school merely minutes after we <laughs> finish today, and then head straight. So we're putting yeah. it all together. Um, I don't know if it's all together. Oh my goodness! Well, um, you know, you
1: think with a week off, we would have had some, <laughs> some time and some space to like prepare ourselves for this. You know, uh, but you know, tis it, the season. Tis the season for spazzing out, right? Or mm-hmm. as you say, today. Okay, wait a minute. What? see? I, it's all fucked up. Did the, we do something? Wrong? Are, here, here's the. I'm gonna. I'm gonna play the thing. Okay drink
0: people always need to know why too they're like you don't drink why (laughs) this never happens with anything else you don't use mayonnaise why (laughs) are you addicted to mayonnaise (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: just mayonnaise doesn't make me feel quite as good that sounds
2: like jim gavigan but i I don't know i know but the
1: the the clip that you sent me is this Woman in a car. Oh, she's like lip syncing. Lip syncing. It. It's it. funny. Which you know, it's visual thing. But there's a lot of great these. For um, radio.
2: This is a, a phenomenon I've heard about recently. Um, uh, it's like recovery comedians. Yeah. And they get hired to do um, right. You know, conventions and stuff like that. And well, I've Dave gotten, from Dopey you know. had one on and right. the Patreon. Right. Yeah. Which I didn't listen to, but you he know. it was funny. But I think um, it's great because if you've ever been sitting at a meeting. And there was a speaker who was just like great and like hilarious. And there's every once in a while you pick those guys show up or those girls show up and they really put on a show. And um, these people are just taking it professionally. I think it's hilarious. That's what it's I all about, it. right? Putting on a show. Well, that's entertaining it. Entertaining people. That's it. If, if we're not entertaining, we are. What are we doing? I don't know, you know? what we're doing. And we're back. Welcome Finally. to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike, goddammit. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. The global holiday booze a thon is in full swing, isn't it? Hear how we got through Thanksgiving without drinking, using drugs, or going on a murderous rampage. And we discuss the Rational Recovery Program, its basic text called The Small Book by Jack Trimpy. All this and more today. On a very special edition of RMA, and here we are. Here we are. I am so
1: excited to be back. Uh, yeah, me too. I mean, it's it's it was very strange being uh, dark for a week. Uh, we weren't quite dark because you filled in the gap by right. your appearance on Annie Grace, which fortuitously just dropped the Friday after Thanksgiving. That Thank you, wor- Annie Grace. Yeah, that
2: was the word I was thinking of. We were, you know, getting a little stressed out because. We like we love to do the show, I We're say. addicted to the fucking show. We're That's the problem. We're addicted to it, and we know you guys are too. And we hate to uh, skip a week, but we really had to last week. I mean, it was nuts. I mean, if you think today's nuts, there was no way last week. Yeah, last week was Thanksgiving was, was wonderful. Um, I hope all of you had wonderful Thanksgivings to celebrate. And even if you didn't, I hope you had a good time. But yeah, we got very lucky. I had recorded uh, an interview with Annie Grace, and we didn't know when it was going to drop because yours, how long did yours take like to drop? Just five months I mean, maybe something? she was just so excited, or she had nothing in the <laughs> or can. Or she, like, she
1: needed content
2: for the day <laughs> or, of the Thanksgiving. I or, don't yeah, know. She was desperate and had nothing in the can. Well, it was a great interview. Thank you so much. Uh, it was very strange. Erin Aaron, uh, Aaron liked it. Oh, she watched yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I hate watching myself. I hate being I, I can't on camera. It, yeah. Because what I realized was, I I look like, if you watch the video, and please don't, listen to it instead, because I look <laughs> like I'm directing traffic or like landing a plane. The, a little jerky. The, the very jerky. <laughs> I was uncomfortable watching myself. I'm like, what the, I sh- have to, do I do that the whole time we're doing the show? Uh,
1: you know, a little I'm bit. I'm a hand talker. I mean, you're a, you're a, you're. You move around. You, you have a lot of excess energy that you burn off back
2: here. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm gesticulating. Yeah. Um, so you can see how spazzy I get when I'm doing these shows. I get fully into it, but I had a great interview. You really um, should watch it because you get the whole picture. You get, you get to see <laughs> what, uh, what I see every week. It was funny because I hadn't gotten a haircut um, and I just like, I'm like, fuck, my hair looks ridiculous. So I put on one of my hats. Yes. And of course my wife's like, why are you wearing a hat? I'm like, it looks crazy. I am like, I got to be on camera. But at our age,
1: if you wear a hat, people think you're bald.
2: Right. Which I am basically. Not, I mean, not really. I mean, it's bald Okay. It's a balding situation. Right, okay. you know, thinning, thinning. I mean, you know, it's all how you identify yourself. Uh, yes. <laughs> Is there a pronoun that you can I, use for that? I self-identify as a balding middle-aged man. <laughs> Right. But you can't call me that. Only I can use right, that of word. Course, yes. Middle age is our word. Um, mm-hmm. That's going in a horrible direction. We're going to copyright um, that or trademark it. Trademark this. Welcome to all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in. Buckle up and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, tragedy. mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? I'm not saying that. Finger your keyboard. <laughs> Or uh,
1: what what did Jackie the Joke Man used to say? Uh, Use your finger. Use your finger and dial our comedy hotline: nine four six three. Nine two two wine is right. that still in existence?
2: That yes, hotline? it's nine two two nine four six. You should call
1: that. Jackie uh, is a local resident, and you know he's the guy who was on the Howard Stern Show for mm-hmm. years, doing writing the jokes and everything. Yeah,
2: that's not his private phone. He has a joke line that we used to call. <laughs> yeah, we're not just giving out his phone number. And it's yeah, it's great. We would uh, go to a payphone. We'd be hanging out at the park. Right. Pop in a quarter. Dial nine two two. You know five one six nine two two W I N E, and it was just Jackie the joke man Martling, famous for being a writer on the Howard Stern Show yeah. many years ago. And he just does dirty jokes. Yeah, dirty jokes. jokes. And so we would listen to it with our skateboards and giggle, you know, and repeat the jokes and get in trouble. Yeah. Um, so
1: log on to middleagesrecovery.com yeah. where you can listen to past shows. Buy great merchandise through the web store. And on that note, yeah. I might add that the holidays are upon us. Yes, those are. of you looking
2: for last-minute gifts, the holidays have mounted us from the rear. <laughs>
1: yes, they are. <laughs> they They're are on us. Completely. The holidays are on us, oh. and they are not asking for consent right, um, with no Vaseline, just a match and a little bit of gasoline. Okay, yeah. all right, it's that kind of show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So help, help me get the box of T-shirts out of my living room before my wife kills me. Uh, buy, buy one, mm. please. Just go and buy one. Or sticker. You know what? Stickers make a great stocking yeah, stuffer. Got, yes. Yes, five bucks a pop plus a nominal, uh, whatever it costs me to put a stamp on an envelope. I don't even know how much that is. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, you can have one. You put it on your laptop. You can, you know... Put yeah. it on the back of your car,
0: right? Represent and, uh, nothing, you know?
2: uh, says you know, I'm leaving you if you don't get sober, like <laughs> a middle ages recovery, you know, t shirt. Erin yeah. uh, wore one to bed
1: the other day. Ah, yeah, she's like, We have so many of these around, uh, I figured <laughs> I would just grab one. I was like, Well, that's um, fine, just send me the, the money order for <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. Listen,
2: those yeah. those of you out there who have them, I've gotten pictures. Um, it's you know, even Joseph W. Naus, our favorite yeah. uh, author. Uh, has been seen wearing our merchandise. Um, yeah, you, you guys should follow him on Instagram, especially those of you
1: who like golf, because yeah. most of his Instagram is uh, perfection of his golf swing, which you, is actually you wouldn't kind know of he interesting. Was,
2: yeah, you wouldn't know he was a recovery guy, you know, and if you'd think he was a golf instructor. Yeah. Like, he's so, like, which is great, though. I, <laughs> I mean, he really does have a good
1: swing. I yes, was, he does. I was envious of his swing yesterday. I was watching yeah, it. Yeah, he looks like a young Tiger Woods. Yeah. Except... Well, except for obvious (laughs) (laughs) obvious differences. Uh, Okay, you can also share your story there. Uh, There's a little uh, online story form you can fill out for those of you that are new, uh, that are joining us because of Nat's interview with Annie Grace, and I know there's a handful of you out there. Yeah, welcome, everybody. Yeah, welcome. Um, You can go there, and there's a little spot for you to tell us your story about how you found RMA, how you found recovery, how you're doing. Or anything else you want to tell us, uh, just put it in the box, or you can email me at mike r at middleagesrecovery. dot com.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, also, I would encourage you, if you have not done so already, to like our Facebook page. Once you do that, it opens up the uh, secret uh, the secret chamber of our private Facebook group. Yes, uh, where uh, we will eventually invite you. If you like the Facebook page. Or you can request too. admission and we will let you in. It's, you just yeah. have to answer a few questions. And most people don't even do that. And we let them in anyway.
2: Mm, mm, um, I try to do a little. Maybe I
1: shouldn't say that. We, we screen new
2: members. We do. <laughs> I do. I look at <laughs> it. I mean, I screen them. And I you know. So does does our fearless uh, trio of moderators. Yes, uh, yes. Jeff D., Aaron Moore, so, and Grant B. Grant.
1: Uh just Answer the questions. If you don't, we're just going to stalk your profile, make sure you're not some kind of a lunatic and we might let you in anyway, but answer the questions. Um, it's an unsearchable group, not the public group. the public group is is very searchable so the private group yeah. is where you would want to comment on things because sometimes we double post yeah. we post on the public facing group and the private group and people who post on the public group may not realize they're posting in the
2: public group mm-hmm.
1: and then, and there's a big difference neighbors the will be like, hi, I'm glad to hear that you have, you're
2: sober because
1: you were you were a real mess <laughs> and you needed to get sober oh no, thank God <laughs>
2: um, there's a big difference if, if you're really concerned you can shoot us an email and ask. But you know the public page has like seven thousand followers, and private ones around five thirty. Because those are you know the fans, people who want to talk to us and talk to each other and get support. The other people are ones that we force fed ads through um, (laughs) through Facebook ads.
1: Some of them get very angry. Mm. (laughs) I've noticed. Most of them are okay with it though. Uh, We also have a new uh, segment, uh, sort of a a semi recurring segment on the show called "Monsters Speak." Right, which is our uh, private Facebook group. You know, sometimes Nat or I will post a, uh, um, I don't know, a thought experiment or a, um, mm-hmm. you know, a question uh, uh, about recovery, or, or, and, yeah. and we will gather the responses from the mongsters and read the most erudite ones on the air. Yes, yes. So do I that. love it. I like um,
2: it. Like and subscribe. Very I think, helpful. I think that's a repeat. I got to take that out. What didn't you already like and that? subscribe? Yeah. I don't Ooh. think so. And you could also say Alexa. Play Recovery in the Middle Ages. Don't do that. My phone's going to do it. (laughs) Prepare to be amazed.
1: Right. Prepare to be amazed. Do that.
2: Um,
1: Yeah. So, uh, the best way that you can um, help us with the podcast well, there's two ways. One, you could go to Apple's iTunes um, podcast or through your podcast app, Apple iTunes, and write us some reviews. The reviews have slowed down a bit, Mm. folks. So, uh, how many reviews do we have in total? I think 91. We have 91 reviews, but we have 500 and some odd people in the private Facebook group.
2: Hmm. Hmm. All of you private so, guys. The yeah, go out there and write us a review. It's okay. Please.
1: You know. Thank you. Just say something nice. Um, and the other thing you could do is tell a friend, of course. Um, because yeah, I've get actually, the word
2: out. I've heard stories from, uh, from the mongsters of people who have... Shared the show with a friend, and then that friend actually writes me or something. Says, "Oh, my friend told me." Yeah, and uh, word of mouth is still yeah. the best advertising. Better um, than word of. If you mouth. get something out of yeah. our
1: little show, just share the love, help us grow the
2: movement, help us grow the the recovery, recovery, the middle ages the middle movement. movement. Um, uh, what there's a doing? new hotline? Oh Let's, yeah, you know. Okay, you do because so, it,
1: it was your idea. Okay, uh, we have a hotline. Mm-hmm. It is a phone number. So for those of you who are not middle-aged... Operators younger, are not standing by. You, you you pick up the phone and you dial a number, yeah. right? Uh, it's 516 You're missing a number
2: in there. 629. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. So oh. the number is... And this has been... What we're going to do with it, once I give you the full number, <laughs> is uh, we're having a Christmas special show. We are. And uh, the idea is to get you know, words from the monsters and, you know, a holiday greeting is fine, but, you know, I think what Mike was looking for was, um, you know, tell us what your, what's your recovery? Like, what does it mean to you? And, um, and what's your method of recovery? Yeah. Too? Like, I mean, I know we got a lot of, uh, a- oh, the number is, okay. So the, the RMA hotline, if you just call 516-888-6297, there's a cute little message for Mike. And, you know, <laughs> thanks. Well, we say three to five minutes tops because um, we want to play a lot of them. I might be able to get some other uh, other podcast hosts I'm going to reach out to to uh, leave a message and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. We're going to have a great uh, holiday show. Yes.
1: Just, you know, whatever you want to talk to us about. You know, Yeah. And uh, speaking of reviews that we have not been getting, we did get one. Didn't we?
2: We sure did. You want to read that one? I do. And I was very happy because there was one bad review that made me sad. We got another bad review? No, just that one. Oh. I Stuck into my craw. Okay. Um, so the review is from Woohoo. Oh, no. The review says Woohoo as the subject. Right. Um, Norm6966 says Not sure how I stumbled onto these guys, but thankful I did. Been playing catch up the last past month. The past month or so, and now I'm up to date. As a solid middle-aged man, I am definitely <laughs> podcast-challenged. Huh? Good for you. But I am learning, and this one is definitely helping me. Three-plus years alcohol-free. Um, however, still working on getting sober in these difficult times. Thanks, Nat and Mike. Love, Norm. You're welcome, Norm. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a great review. Um, Anything we can do to help. Man, if you guys don't think that negative reviews affect the host... Um, I was just talking to a very popular recovery podcast um, host uh, and he had gotten... Was it Dave? It may have been, <laughs> you know, may have been, but I don't want to talk about my private conversations, you know. Oh, come on. I don't want to break uh, any kind of confidence. In any case, you know, we get, we, we hear it and it is, it does hurt our feelings. It's hard to harden yourself to that. We take this so personally. We do. Um, even though there's, you know, that's kind of silly. Uh, and then we have... Monsters speak, 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 speak. Okay. Right. Yes. Um. Okay. And here's what I did. I, I, uh, I made a little post, and I said, Att- "Attention, Monster Family! I have chosen a chip at random to get some discussion going. Participation and action was was the chip that we drew. Um, a chip. It's a chip.
1: Maybe some people don't know about
2: the chips. I bet you buy the chip. I've got a bag of these like wooden coin-looking things. Okay. And on each one is a different um, like recovery meeting topic, basically Mm -hmm. type of thing. Like uh, it'll say gratitude uh, or whatever. This one we said was participation in action. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what does that mean to your recovery or how do you use that in your recovery? And I wrote, to me, participation in action is what we're doing on this group and at our recovery meetings. It's also when I call my recovery partner and check in or ask how he's doing. It's doing this podcast and doing the research, learning new things by reading new books, listening to podcasts, journaling, et cetera. Uh, And I ask, how does participation and action figure into your recovery? Love Nat Right on. What did they say? Well,
1: Melissa L. says, uh, going to my meetings and embracing them. It took me a long time to find one that made me feel like it was a good fit, but they are out there. Action is maintenance of sobriety, healing and keeping it real. I still read quite a bit about recovery and I can always keep learning. Sure. Yeah. For sure.
2: Corey W says, Hey, everyone. I'm new to the group. Welcome, Corey. But have been listening to the podcast for a while. It's great. I also read Quit Lit, work the 12 steps with the sponsor as part of my program, but I don't typically attend AA meetings. Works for me. Good. I also participate in different Zoom meetings and looking forward to an RMA one and church stuff. Oh.
1: We do have a uh, uh, recurring RMA meeting on Sunday mornings. Yes. At 1130 Eastern United States time.
2: Yeah, usually one of us is goes, sometimes two of us. Right now, I'm uh, after church, I've got pageant practice, so I'm going to... Pageant practice. Uh, and I'm like in the pageant because there's not enough kids. Are you playing a shepherd or what? Uh, I'm the, it's, uh, it's so annoying. A wise man? It's not even like that. It's like they're, they're doing a little play about our town, so I'm in the <laughs> play as myself. And my line is, and so what happens is the beginning of it is this weird little story that, um, the director, uh, wrote and then, um, and I'm doing the music and, uh, and I have to say, so there's a kid and she's asking, can you tell me which way to get to something? I can't remember. And I'm supposed to say, I'm too busy right now. There's a line (laughs) of people outside my store. I have to get there right now. And then I just run off stage. But what I said in rehearsal was, you know, there's a line of people at my door. And I turned to the audience, you know, watching. I said, for the first time ever. And everybody cracked up. It was great. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. So that's what we're doing. So I have trouble getting there. But hmm. you've been there every time. And we've got several of our of our monster family that show up. And it's yeah. great. It's It was really good for me. I loved going to it. I might not be there Sunday, though, now that you mention it. But. But everybody Grant's show up. Little, yeah. Grant's there and, and whomever else. It's a great opportunity to have a you know a recovery meeting that isn't quite so dogmatic.
1: So uh, Melissa M. says, um, I love this answer. Uh, Participation has never been my forte. My husband saw my kindergarten report card where the teacher wrote, Melissa will answer any direct question asked but will not offer any extra information. <laughs> I love that. Uh, he left and said, I'm still the same. The chip reminds me to be an active participant in my recovery, aka also known as this group, even when it's easier to sit back and watch. Mm-hmm. Melissa M is a frequent...
2: Uh, she shows up at the, yeah, at the meetings. Yeah. yeah, so Talk to Melissa M. Show up at the meeting. Hope uh, DB says, I tend to hang on the edge, not participating. Maybe it's time to get out of my comfort zone. Uh, when I see that, I think of myself at... You know, uh, middle school dances, things like that, standing on the side watching other people have fun and participate because I'm too self-conscious to let loose. I was always that way, too. But, But I I mean, I think it speaks to something
1: in the recovery movement writ large that, you know, participation is considered a healthy thing. But I, I wonder how true that is because so many people are different and you have people with different levels of uh, ability to engage in social situations. You have people who have different um, thresholds for um, withstanding uh,
2: criticism from
1: other people. I would never
2: recommend somebody do this alone. I mean, my my main advice is no matter what your support looks like, you have to have support. That's what I think. Even if it's just bringing your family in on it you know fair enough um, i don't i don't it doesn't know. have to be an, an aa meeting or an, even a no. recovery in the middle ages meeting right I, 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 I need support g- meetings make me extremely uncomfortable and self-conscious even, even our today meetings? even
1: our meetings <laughs> i do it but um, but that's honest yeah um, yeah so but you feel better afterwards because it's over or because you got something out of it <laughs> that's what i ask myself about when i go running and i've been doing it for 30 years yeah. so maybe it's you know maybe it's the same thing i mean i don't know i do feel better afterwards but i feel better because because so many of the people there are, you know, sharing their stories, and we're all you know on the same journey in some respects, right? That's so, right. You know, strength, that's right. Strength in numbers, even though if it's
2: it's a little uncomfortable at times. Now um, that brings us to: we had a little. For the most part, our private group is great. It's a very supportive place. I'm trying to cultivate a supportive environment where anybody can kind of say what's on their mind. Um, you know or give to talk about their the way they're recovering or not recovering and then we can you know sort of have a civil discourse about it um i don't know if i even want to talk about this to be honest i, but, know, I thought it was relatively civil and i think it, you know after was. a little back and forth things you know ended on a good note we did and no. you know i i reacted a little harshly at first but the reason I did, I, I, there it was just a little bit. I, I was sensing some real vitriol, and uh, on one of the posts, I'm just all of a sudden. I like usually I go to the group, I read the posts, I try and make as supportive comments as I can, you know, and um, and I get a good feeling from it, and that's why I love to go to a group. But this one day. I had read a couple of the posts and man I got this horrible feeling. It it like upset me the way things were written, the way I felt I felt like it was attacking other people's closely held beliefs, maybe not intentionally, but when I got that feeling, it took me back. Maybe that's a PTSD response mm. because it took me back to all of the people I've met in, you know, the rooms and in rehabs that ha- that are so angry, they're so wounded and they just they they spit it out on everyone else and bring everyone else down and maybe that's not exactly what was going on but that's how it made me feel Hmm. and I had this reaction like I don't want this in my house you know what I mean like this does not belong here I don't want it but um you know at the same token if somebody is hurting and angry about something I shouldn't you know, try and censor that, I have no interest in that, you know, if you're hurting, and you've had a really bad experience with something, let's talk about that, but let's not, you know, cast that aspersion on other people who may be associated with whatever it was that hurt you, you know, it's not them, and I don't know, I just, I I was having a bad day, and and I just don't want that in our group, like, I, I don't want to censor anything, you know what I mean, but It's okay when you're talking about yourself or your experience is great, but when you start to kind of throw that shrapnel out at other people that you know are just trying to get support and kind of be positive, I don't know that kind of got me, you know. Hmm. But maybe I was overreacting.
1: Well, I I mean, I don't know. I saw it a little a little differently. I mean, I'm with you that you know civil discourse is should be the goal, right? But there's a tension between civil discourse. And then the effects of trauma on people who are posting in a recovery group, which is a place that is a place where people right. who are traumatized but Don't traumatize
2: are, me in the process.
1: You know, and, and how, you know, right. how does trauma play out in people's recovery? I mean, it obviously it plays out differently, but you also don't want to end up creating like a, a, a place where it's just toxic po- positivity is the only thing that's allowed. It is. Especially because, You're you know, right. we have sort of posited ourselves as a... Um, casting a broad net with respect to different people's opinions of what recovery is to them and if someone has a strong negative opinion about something or has been hurt by one particular
2: method of recovery right, but I mean they should have the opportunity to express that and I mean, you can just don't like demean other people
0: yeah, in the I, process I
1: didn't really see it that way and I and I also think you can kind of turn that discussion and I think you did a good job of
2: turning the discussion yeah I walked it back cuz I felt like a dick for getting so
1: I I I don't know. Whenever you create an internet community, you know, you have to be concerned with how you're going to allow outlying voices to be heard, where you set the threshold for what's considered acceptable discourse, because if you keep the metaphysical fence too tight, um, I think you run the risk of stifling the free exchange of ideas in, in favor too. of like palatable chit chat that may not benefit everybody in the long run. I mean, such right. a, mm. I mean, that's social media, right? I mean, yeah. you know, Facebook, maybe it's not the, maybe it's not the milieu for deep discussion, you know, because nuance is lost in posting. Right. I mean, yeah. now I, I know where this guy's coming from because a lot yeah, of his of objections, uh, you know, to 12 step are ones that I have. I, yeah. I
2: don't, I, I don't express them in the same way that he does. Yeah. You know? I just, you know what? It wasn't one post. It was a few, you know, it's not just one person either. Right. And this is an attitude I see on like NA groups specifically. Somebody will post something and then a person will basically attack that person for having that view and making them feel awful, you know, and may, maybe that person didn't come from your experience, you know, but on the same token, uh, they didn't come from your experience. So, I am um, i don't know, man. I Just I, be nice. Can everybody just be nice? Sure. That's all I want. I, mean, I, want...
1: I, I will say this, though. There are an awful lot of people in 12-step programs who are not very nice to people right. who are not. So the, I don't want, <laughs> right? right? So that's so, not our group. You know, because you know they have this idea that that's the, my way or the highway, yeah. or you know, it's, so it's either it. this way or you're doomed to fail. So leave
2: know? that in your AA meeting. Don't bring it to, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, that's going on outside. So, you know, sorry I got a little bitchy. I mean, we're not we're not hardly heavy-handed in no. the moderation in uh, that group, right? And I shouldn't be. I mean, <laughs> that's why we've got our wonderful moderators, but yeah, you know, no say what you say what you feel, but you know, say what just get- don't call anybody else an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? Say what you mean, but don't say it mean. Oh. How's that's that? is that
1: an AA slogan it too? It is. It is.
2: <laughs> anyway, anyway, please keep participating in the group. I love you guys and I'll um all of you I'll back up a little bit <laughs> let it grow on its own I'm Listen, sorry it was uh, I'm, I'm bringing all of my personal shit onto that and I and I did that and I apologize <laughs> so um don't worry we're just happy you guys are are hanging out with us um moving on I would say we just we left the post up and didn't yeah. censor anyone's comments
1: nothing, so you nothing. know go check it out if and you
2: I want. and I apologized and walked it back so yeah. keep 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 going keep going all right um life update. I was on Annie Grace. We already talked about, yeah, that. We talked about that. Um but hey, Thanksgiving. We had this big holiday where, you know, traditionally everybody gets beyond wasted the night before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then we also had that holiday called Thanksgiving in America where we, I don't know what we're celebrating, that we, I don't know, that we made friends kill, with the Native Americans. Killing birds American. and eating them. It's like we're <laughs> celebrating that the Native Americans that we, quote unquote, discovered and <laughs> us, like, had a meal once before we slaughtered them or something. I, like, <laughs> I'm not sure what That the, seems to be the, uh, <laughs> the thing. But, um, uh, I, you know what, in I all fairness, it's it sort of morphed into
1: a holiday, a general holiday of giving thanks and yeah. being appreciative of the things that you have, right? It is. It's I it's mean, bit, yeah. Regardless of its, uh, or you know, sketchy origins, perhaps. Yeah.
2: And I got into the spirit. I, I was, like, thanking everybody. <laughs> the, like, that week of Thanksgiving, I just, like, got, I got um, consumed by the spirit of Thanksgiving. And I was, like, I found myself telling people in my life, like, thank you so much for being there. And, like, really going. I'm, like, I don't and know, the I was, guy like, at the deli was
1: like, here's your coffee. Like, thank, thank
2: you <laughs> so much for all you do. Yeah. But I really got into the spirit. Um, but Thanksgiving Eve um, didn't go Wednesday out. Wednesday night. What happened Wednesday? I can't night. even remember. I think we watched Mayor of Easttown. You know, oh, my wife. A, that's a
1: really great show. Did you watch it? Yes,
2: it's amazing. It's I a, was
1: blown away. It's so good. Yes, Mayor
2: M A R E of Easttown. It's Kate
1: on, Winslet. Man, I didn't know she
2: had it in her. It's I, on I, HBO yeah. and it's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I really love that show um but let's see Thanksgiving day Yeah, what did you do Thanksgiving day? Well, we we went to the
1: restaurant as was uh, planned. Um there were a couple of relatives drinking bourbon. Uh and got a little loud, but not, you know, everybody was was happy and gregarious. Uh, they brought me a Coke in a wine glass uh with a straw as if it was a six. They year brought old. you
2: Coke with a mirror and a straw. They
1: <laughs> got Coke, mirror and a straw. Um <laughs> I always get a kick out of that. Like, they'll put they'll put the uh, the non-alcoholic drink in a nice fancy glass, which I like. I like drinking out of fancy glasses. Me too. Uh, but I don't need a
2: straw. I'm not, straw- I'm not six, you And know? you can't look cool sipping out of a no, straw. It's impossible. No, you're picking up the,
1: by the stem and taking a <laughs> sip out of a straw. At least they didn't bring me a crazy straw, you know. Yeah. Was,
2: I would have preferred a crazy <laughs>
1: straw. So, um, you know, I loved it um, because it, it, it was a few hours and then we all went home and it was great. Sat in front of the TV, did all that. You Restaurant.
2: Know. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. Mon- oh, in the morning, yeah. though,
1: we had the other half of the family over for the um, long-standing American Thanksgiving tradition of having bagels and lox. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's a Long Island thing, I guess. Uh, and that was nice. Got to see the other the other side of the family. Uh, there was no drinking at breakfast. So, um,
2: yeah. That was great. That How about is- you? Yeah. Um, well, we we had a... I had a great day. We were a little busy. We were driving around to a couple different houses, but the morning was really interesting because I don't know if everybody watches this uh, Thanksgiving Day parade that Macy's does. Yeah, we watched it, and uh, yeah, it's at nine in the morning, and uh, everybody's up. We're all together in the den. We've got the Thanksgiving Day parade on the television, and um, <laughs> there was the first. But you know what they do is they the cameras will follow the floats. And then um, they have like Broadway musicals will stage like a tr- a song and dance out of their show. Uh-huh. And they'll cut yeah. to that. Yeah. The first musical that they cut to was Moulin Rouge, which if you is don't. Is that about French hookers? Yes. Uh, nice. And I was like, I'm like watching it. And my kids are sitting there. I'm sitting there. And Moulin Rouge is just like, yeah, they're basically it's a musical about French prostitutes. And the dancers are all decked out in like, you know. Hooker clothes, you know, old yeah, but, French but hooker from, clothes, but from
1: like the eighteen hundreds. It's but not like they're showing anything. It's right? pretty I
2: mean, sexy. Is it for a prude like me?
1: I picture like a lot of feathers and you know boas. It, it was it was a little
2: feathered boas. I saw a little more ass than I think we should have at nine fifteen on a uh, on a Thanksgiving day morning, <laughs> um, and I just thought that was freaking hilarious. And the other thing I wanted to mention from this show was there was a bizarre new musical or maybe it's not new but it's the first time I'm hearing of it that I they were performing now it's called Six and mm. it's a British musical um, by Toby Marlowe and the musical is a modern retelling of the lives of six wives of Henry the VIII oh, wow. presented as a pop concert as the wives take turns singing and telling their story to see who suffered the most due to Henry and should therefore become the group's singer <laughs> so <laughs> That's it's really was, weird. It is weird. Is I'm it, like, uh, what the hell am I watching? Is it like a Me Too kind of it's, tr- it, translation? It's sort of schlocky. It's sort of schlocky and funny type of thing. Mm. It's sort of a weird pop rock musical about the wives of that were killed by Henry the Eighth. That's interesting. I thought it was very, very niche and maybe it has something to do with Hamilton. They said, Oh, this historical. Oh, right. Know, so giving um, it like the new sort of pop treatment. Right. So you yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was Worth noting. Uh, then we went to my did brother's... Did you ever, ever listen... Just side. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know when you, you were doing a lot of Coke, you wanted to make a concept album?
2: Uh, all the time, yeah.
1: Did you ever uh, hear of the the album by Rick Wakeman, the keyboardist from Yes, called The Six Wives of Henry VIII? No. No. It is a concept album about the six wives of Henry VIII.
2: Maybe the, the two are connected.
1: I can't imagine, but I well, mean, maybe. I wonder if he did the music. So, for this it.
2: isn't the first time someone thought of someone, a musical connected to this. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Everything's been thought of, right? Guys. That's Everything. It. Um, went to my brother's house for appetizers. So, we're driving on one side of Long Island. Uh, it's great to see my brother and one of my nephews back from college. Um, it was it was a good time. It's always happy to see everybody. Um, one of the things that I noted was the alcohol. Now people weren't drunk when I was there, but what I did re- notice was that um, you know the men that were there, one of them brought one of these fancy half kegs. Okay. Have you ever seen these half kegs? And it's like a, a craft beer or something special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the one of them brought it. I think my brother's brother-in-law. And then my dad and my brother and um, my brother's brother-in-law, they were all you know huddled around it, and they were (laughs) worshiping the keg, you know, talking about it. Oh, someone's got to tap it. It was kind of this like they're doing this together. It's kind of like a man ritual. They're pouring it out and sniffing it and (laughs) tasting it, and and I just thought to myself, you know, am I missing something? Like (laughs) I don't know because. No. I didn't get that feeling that I wanted it, but I was just kind of like, almost like an anthropologist observing a mm-hmm. culture. Right. Sometimes I think of myself like that. And uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, it's not, I'm not in it. And I don't know. This time I didn't feel left out, you know. I went to go talk to the women. That's what I do. <laughs> like, I mean, uh,
1: alcohol culture is very strange on a number of levels. I mean, you know, they basically the craft beer people have sort of taken the, uh, the mystique that was created around wine and just applied it to beer. And yeah. I mean, to to, to me, just take a big sniff off of a beer seems like, why would you do that? It I was, smells like fermenting uh, barley. Yeah. It's,
2: uh, well, I used to make beer with my dad. Did I ever tell you that? Uh, no. It was a father son bonding thing when I was college age, probably. You were like six or seven? <laughs> basically. <laughs> but one year we got, you know, this beer kit, and every year for a few years we made our own brand of beer and my father and I did it and my brother and it was mm-hmm. this big bonding thing and uh so stuff like that I miss but we you can do other things you know
1: yeah you don't have to make an alcoholic drink to yeah. bond with your relatives but you know but that I mean was, that yeah. I, nobody was like for like hey Nat come over here and well, have
2: one of these they weren't because everybody knows right that I don't drink and that there's a very good reason for it so right. That's one of those techniques that we, we talked about where you out yourself, yeah, which is so hard to do. But I Burning d- of the ships. Burn the ships. Everyone knows I'm not drinking, and, and it's not even that I can't anymore. It's they know I don't want to. And right. It's just not me. It's not something I do, and they don't even bother me. And um, it's great. I think that, that helps me so much. Because think about the difference. If I was there, nobody knew, and they'd be like, well, that's when people are like, why yeah. aren't you drinking? And right, then, exactly. You know. um, so that was that was great. It was great to see my brother. And we went to my uh, my wife's cousin, or my cousin, and their little cousins who are my kid's age, and we went to their house for dinner. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was just such a nice holiday. And I love to see my little baby cousins um, or nephews. And, uh, and like I say every time, when there's like a drinking holiday, I hang out with the kids the most, you know, yeah. just because, not because I don't like They're the They're not adult, drinking yet. But nobody got drunk. Like, I feel like the older we get, less and less people are getting mm-hmm. wasted. I mean, my sister-in-law usually has a little bit too much, and I just really worry about her driving home. Right. Uh, and so I always have that debate with myself, like, when is it appropriate for me to step in and be that guy who's mm. like, "You're not driving," you know? It's not. Yeah, my that's place. always a tough. That's a tough call. You to, know, monsters. Right, right. Does she in. have a uh, like you, a
1: husband or?
2: No, she's not. She's not married. Oh, okay. But um, I want to know if the monsters. What would you know? When do they think it's appropriate uh, to say to somebody, "You've had too much"? When it's not your own wife.
1: Yeah, Nassau County, uh, there's a big billboard in the next town over from us that says, um, the very question is, have I had too much, right? And then underneath it, it says, buzz driving is drunk driving. And then there's a pair of handcuffs. Yeah. So to get the message across that, you know, any alcohol is too much alcohol to get behind the wheel. And I would agree with that. And I say this as somebody that has driven, buzzed, if not outright intoxicated, uh, hundreds of times over the course of my life. Yeah.
2: And, yeah, and take it from me, guys. I mean, the laws are different in every state. Um, that ruined my life mm. <laughs> for like five years. Well, and you're,
1: I mean, both of us are just lucky. It didn't ruin anybody else's life. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I mean, growing up in the seventies and eighties, like that was before drunk driving laws. Like it was almost considered like a sport right. to you drive get a like that, you know? And then,
2: but the consciousness has, has shifted and rightly so. <laughs> You know, and, and just, just to make the point, when I was, when I was, uh, when I got my DWI, that was my first and only, I had no criminal record really to speak of and they threw the book at me and mm-hmm. I didn't even uh, have that much in my system. I had just pretty much over the limit and it completely derailed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, for that, for self-preservation yeah. reasons alone, you shouldn't,
1: you shouldn't no, drive drunk, no. which, you know, that, and which is interesting because I went to a, a work event yesterday uh, that everyone had to drive to and it was in the middle of New Jersey somewhere. And uh, oh, my
2: condolences. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it was
1: actually a decent restaurant, but um, but it was the kind of place where, you know, you order a glass of wine and, and it's one of those large wine glasses and the, the pour is like halfway up the glass. Right. So it's a, a substantial amount it's of like wine. A quart of right. Wine. So, you know, I, again, I ordered my, my diet Coke and um, you know, to your point before, a lot of the guys that I work with, and I hadn't seen them in like two years because we've all been working from home. So there was a bit of a reunion, you know, festive air.
2: Two years? You've been sober
1: two years. Um, okay, I've been sober two years and five months. I okay, think. so they've so, known you. So I got sober in July, at the end of July of 2019, and then everything shut down in the following March. So however long it's been since. I stopped going to New Jersey to work mm. is how long it's been since I've seen these folks. So Interesting. we were catching up on some lost time. It's so the new Mike. Right. What? It's the new Mike. Yeah, it's the new me. But I don't know. You know, most of the time that I work with them, I wasn't drunk. So like, you know, it was only at like work affairs and stuff. But anyway, um, so... Uh, in the old days, when we would get together for something like that, everybody would be drinking and they would be drinking a fair amount. Uh, it seems like as we've all gotten older, uh, to your point from before, everyone's kind of pulled back. Yeah. But, uh, but still, it. you know, people were driving some distance. Uh, some people came from Pennsylvania, a couple, one guy came from Brooklyn, you know, and uh, so t- to even have one or two drinks and then to get in your car and drive somewhere seems ill-advised to me. You know, and I was kind of watching because, you know, there's a law firm that set up this lunch for us because they want business from us. And I'm watching the partners and this one guy's drinking gin and tonics and the other guy's drinking um, wine and some other guy had uh, scotch and two each. And I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I'm like, I question the judgment of drinking a couple of drinks, then getting in a car and driving. And I'm wondering, like, if you're doing that at a lunch, what are you doing like every day? You know, yeah. and how is that affecting your ability to act as an attorney for our organization? You know, and, and the weird thing is like, I, I, I know I'm the only one having those thoughts, right? right? Because I'm just seeing it from the outside. Right. I'm not like, I'm not seeing it from a drinking perspective. Right,
2: because when you're in it and you're not on this side of the right, you don't even, street. Right, you don't even think about it. Right, it's a couple drinks, right. whatever.
1: Yeah, but... um it was kind of easy for me to not drink because, like, most of my coworkers, the guys that I actually work with on a day-to-day basis, were not drinking. You know, they got a soda or an iced tea or something.
2: You know? So, I think the Monksters might be interested in, like, how, like, did you have a plan, you know, before you go to an event like this, I always recommend you get your recovery partner, you know, or sponsor... And um, make sure you're in contact with each other. And, you know, even if, of course, Mike knows that he can text me whenever, but just by the act of me texting him beforehand and saying, hey, have fun, good luck. Right. You know, you can, you know, text me if you, you're you getting any feeling itchy or whatever. And then also to have some kind of plan. Like we have been talking about strategy going out for, you know, since we've met. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that plan in your head, like, what do I do uh when I go out and I'm presented with this option? Right. I was just talking to there's a monster out there who I, I won't name who I've been kind of talking through uh getting clean uh from booze and cocaine and uh it's been really great talking to him and um he was going to an event that was, um, you know, going to be a drinking with friends and he's really trying to, you know, he's got a couple of days type of thing. Mm-hmm. And we talked just strategy and just kind of played the tape through out loud, like talked about, okay, how does this usually go down when you get blow and you drink? And so just by having those conversations, mm-hmm. you know, he was able to go and come back and he reported that he was able to not drink and he still had fun. Huge victory. And, huge victory. you know, just doing that once, that's a notch on your belt. And then the next time you remember, you have that recall of how you got through it. The fact that you didn't need to drink to have fun, and that when you got home and woke up the next morning, you know you felt much better.
1: It's a it's a muscle, and yeah. and the more you exercise that muscle, the stronger it gets. So uh, that's why the first year in recovery is often the most right. challenging. I mean, I get to the point where I can I can go to a work event. I'm not I'm not saying yeah, hey, man, it's not a big deal, but. I, I get to one of these things and I don't even think about drinking, yeah. you know. And if I were to think about drinking, I told you I was going, mm-hmm. you knew about it. And you you actually sent me a couple of texts yeah. asking how it was going. And yes. I went to the bathroom and uh, answered answer them.
2: And, and that's the job of a tandem sponsor or a recovery partner is you're staying in touch. You're understanding that sometimes they just need to see... A that you're there you know um. but you know the thing that people should realize is it's not always
1: like this it's not I mean you will not always go to an event and feel like no. oh my god am I going to drink I mean that you know yeah. eventually you get to the point in your recovery where you're like I'm, I have no interest in this I yeah. don't want to do it you know you don't even feel like you need to do the pretend thing that I did in the beginning with getting the fake you yeah, know, glass of the ginger ale. Right. I don't, I could care less what people think, you know.
2: I, I had an, actually, I went to a drinking event besides Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually went with Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> so just to let you guys know if you're just a, a new listener, um, there's a very close friend of mine. We call him Sergeant Slaughter and uh, we call him that because he is a police sergeant. And, um, and into wrestling, apparently. Well, we've been into <laughs> WWE professional wrestling when we were little kids. Right. You know, and even into post-college, before I got married, um, we would have these, just, just to keep up getting together, uh, we would, when there was a big wrestling event, we'd all get together at one of our houses, watch mm-hmm. it, drink, have fun. Uh, and so it's been about... 10 to 12 years since I've even, you know, watched any wrestling because it's completely absurd. It's, it's very hard to get into. It's fun if you can, like, put yourself in that mindset. You um, think like you're going to the theater or something. It's right? like this, I think of it like the circus. So, anyway, yeah, we got these free circus. tickets to a live TV taping of Monday Night Raw. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, like, uh, you just suspend disbelief and kind of go with it. It's a lot of fun. Um, but it's also, you know, the friends I was going with, it was Sergeant Slaughter, another good friend of mine that I haven't really seen in a very, very long time, but we were all very close in high school and before that. And so he went and then one of Sergeant Slaughter's friends from, uh, the police department, I think, uh, came with us. And so these are, and we went to the brand new Belmont, uh, stadium that was just built. Oh yeah. Belmont. Nice. A beautiful mm. Belmont racetrack in New York just was renovated, like a billion dollar renovation. Yeah, so th- Islanders can't seem to win a game. No, that. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> but it's beautiful. Um, the one story I wanted to, and what I did was, uh, first thing is the parking attendant story. Um, so when we get there, uh, we, you know, the parking is a nightmare, of course. And they have these guys directing people to different parking lots. And we pulled into this one, Uh, not sure where to go. And uh, Sergeant Slaughter rolls the window down and says, uh, hey, you know, what do we do? He says, it's $45 over there. And he said, it's a joke. Oh, he's like, how about we just give you 20 bucks under the table and you let us park over there? You know, like, ha ha. Yeah. guy's like, he looks back. He goes, all right, right this way. (laughs) And so (laughs) we pulled into this parking lot. You know, I, and I did the handshake money pass off right. too. Cause it was on my side. <laughs> so we, when we got to the spot, I reached out. I was like, thanks man. Put the 20 in his hand and we pulled in. Wow. <laughs> That's good to know for uh, for next time. Yeah, But when we got inside, there was like a security manager or something. Mm-hmm. And she d- directly asked us, Oh, how, where did you park? How did you park? And we're like, no. Oh. And I was the one that started talking, which was such a bad idea. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I think we just, um, you know, we just gave him some cash. And I'm like, and then Sergeant Slaughter was like, no, there was no cash because they don't take cash Right. It's all credit cards. Right, right, So that was a red flag. And I said, I, I mean, you know, not cash. Ha <laughs> ha, I thought they took <laughs> cash, you know, and it was really slick, right? And I'm like, no, we used a credit card. And she gave us a look. He's like, oh, she gets good because I'd hate for you to uh, have your car towed, you know. And so, start, Sergeant Slaughter started bugging out. We played it cool for a yeah. minute. And then there was some other cops that were working, and he went over to them and was, like, talking to them. I guess he was asking them if they really tow cars or something like that. Yeah. You know, because, you know... When Do she, they? Did they? they? were like, we don't know, and we don't think so. And they did not. But we had this anxiety the whole time. Oh, uh, that
1: sucks, man. She, she, she screwed you because she kind of figured what, what, what was <laughs> she, going on. She yeah. knew. Yeah. She figured
2: it out. She was just <laughs> fucking with us. But... And, uh, did you, uh, was there anything for you to drink there besides beer? So the only thing I wanted was, um, soda and a big bag of popcorn. That's what I was like fantasizing about. You right. Know? I had that. That's my goal. Um, there was beer everywhere. It was like $15 a cup, but we were in a special section cause it was corporate, mm-hmm. uh, box or something from our friend. And so we passed this fancy bar And uh, there was no popcorn for me to get, which I was pissed off about. I walked up to the bar, and I said, he said, what do you have, buddy? I said, "Uh, do you have grenadine? He said, "Mm, yeah. He said, get me a Shirley Temple on the rocks. (laughs) And uh, he cracked up, brought me my Shirley Temple. My friends ordered their beers, and we went to our seat. But, you know, when you're comfortable and, you you know, you don't really secretly wish you were drinking, doing something like that is easy. Did you have fun? We had a fucking blast. So it's man. possible to have fun without being drunk at a wrestling event. Yeah, and wow. they didn't like drink that much. I think sometimes because they all know that I'm sober. Uh, my other friend uh, is friends with the other guy, Vin, who listens to the show. Oh, and uh, and so he knew about the show, and so I had never. Come out, so to speak, to uh, to him directly about being sober. But this time, I was just kind of like, yeah, blah blah blah. When I got sober, yada yada yada. Mm. And so I was able to openly talk about it, and uh, it felt good to just kind of be myself and not have to be like pretending. You awesome. know what I mean? Great. And uh, we got to catch up, and you know, I fully got into the uh, to the show. We had very good seats, you know, yeah. just to like yeah, yeah. I like by force of will. I was just gonna have a good time, and um, very happy we did that. Cool. Um, so, thank you to uh, Eddie, who got us the tickets. Yep. Um, oh, right. Did you do what? Right. So, um, <laughs> last thing uh, that we're going to catch up on. We have to talk about Christmas lights. Oh, Christmas
1: lights. I, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, in the driving rain and wind and freezing cold, I put them all up uh, in like two hours, because that's how I roll.
2: Great story. Great story. Thanks. Um <laughs> How about you? The reason I I wanted to say this because I, too, put up my Christmas lights. And I had a Sunday fun day that was so crazy. I can't believe I got everything done that I got done that day. And I'm just going to tick off what I accomplished on that Sunday. All right. You go ahead. All right. We had church where I did Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Then we had pageant practice. Then we came home I started doing the lights on my house, Mm -hmm. um, which took me like four hours in the freezing cold. And in the middle of it, I had to run to get my COVID booster because it was scheduled for that day. I had to do that, drove back, finished doing the lights. And by five o'clock, I was able to, we had dinner together. We made a fire. We watched Chris. I think we played Trivial Pursuit is a new thing. I'm trying to get my kids to do more. Sounds like the fucking Waltons. It was. (laughs) And it was just like the perfect day. Uh, And we had a great time. And um, not possible were I trying to figure out how I was going to pick up dope or how I was going to sneak a beer or the vodka hidden in the basement. It was just such a nice day. And um, I got the lights up, and I didn't die. With sobriety, all things are possible. Because every time I go up that ladder to put the lights up, I think, one of these days, I'm not coming down. I'm just going to stay <laughs> really? here. I'm just going to stay up there. Yeah. <laughs> just live on the roof. I'm to camp, up, camp
1: yeah. out. Um, just stay away from the
2: electrical lines. All right. Due to uh, the time constrictions today, we're going to move on. We're moving on. And um, what are we talking about today? What's our main topic? So today,
1: we're going to talk about a recovery program that... Many of you may not be familiar with, but uh, was extremely popular back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. And it's called Rational Recovery. Um, Rational Recovery, uh, it's an abstinence based addiction recovery program. And it was developed by a fellow named Jack Trimpey, who is the, uh, he's a certified, a licensed social worker with, uh, at the time that he created the program, he had like 30 years of, or 40 years of, therapy uh, experience, um, and he created it as an alternative to the spiritual-centered 12-step model. Um, was, he founded it in 1986. Uh, Trimpy was a recovered uh, alcoholic, although I don't think he would use that term to describe himself, and uh, I, I call this, um, this method of recovery the suck-it-up buttercup <laughs> method because that kind of seems to be the, the, genesis of the program. Um, but, uh, I have a, a personal history with rational recovery because when I, I shortly after, nine uh, 11, uh, when I kind of went off the rails with drinking, I was looking to cut back at the time. I don't know if I was necessarily looking to stop right. entirely.
2: You were sober curious. I say? was
1: sober curious. <laughs> and, uh, but I knew that I didn't want to do AA because I had, had prior experiences with AA that uh, I wasn't happy with. So I was looking for an alternative, and at the time, Rational Recovery was basically the alternative. I mean, there was no smart recovery then. There was uh, really nothing mm. out there. There was no anti-grace. There was none of this, um, you know, any kind of this new sober movement. Um, but I did find Rational Recovery, and they had an extremely active website and an active web forum, and go on there, and I learned about the program. And, and uh, I went, it didn't work for me, because I really... Wasn't ready to to do what needed you weren't
2: to be done entirely ready to have God remove your personality yeah. defects. We'll get to that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean that that's something that um, you have that, must be entirely ready.
1: Yeah, um, the, the the rational recovery program centers on a, a trademark method called the addictive voice recognition uh, training.
2: I loved reading this because yes. I've been talking about this just. From my, you know, thoughts on addiction. Yeah. And I've sort of been doing this AVRT. Right. And and I didn't know that it was laid out and encapsulated so so perfectly here. It's When I talk about the inner addict, you know, what I was talking about with that one monkster who, you know, the other day, I was talking a lot about this inner addict. Right. And that you have to identify that voice in your head that says, you know, you really want to get high. You really want to have that drink. You have to like separate yourself from right. that identity. Well, um, yes. The first
1: step, though, and, and well, the first thing that Trimpey does in his, his first book was called The Small Book a, as an alternative to the AA Big Book. And that's right? what
2: we were reading, and basically.
0: I,
1: yes. I mean, he, he wrote subsequent books, and which sort of expanded on his theory, and, and he disavows some of the stuff in the small book. I didn't quite get a sense of what he'd thrown out and what he had added because I, I sort of skimmed his second book, which is basically just rational recovery laid out in a program. And, and, and then he wrote a third book on AVRT, which basically really the whole book is how you manage that addictive voice inside your head and what you can do to, um, you know, when it, when it starts talking to you. But, uh, the main difference between, um, rational recovery and AA um, that's everything. Well it's everything but but right it's everything is the <laughs> it's big diametrically is the big difference. opposed. but um, the uh, the main, one of the main differences is in AA you approach uh, abstention a day at a time
2: right but in oh, rational
1: that. recovery, they say one day at a time is a terrible idea mm. because it always leaves the door open that someday you'll drink again. So what mm. they, what he says to do in rational recovery is when you are ready to quit and no time like the present is the best time, Right. what you do is you need to make something he calls the big plan. And the big plan is you say to yourself, I will never, ever drink again, no matter what happens. And that is the big plan. The no matter what club they talk about in AA too. Really? They say, I'm in the no matter what club. It's like just- I won't drink no matter what? Right. Okay. No matter what, clip. which is not exactly one day at a time, but that's interesting. Um, yeah, but there are, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. So, um, so Trimpe spends a lot of that first book um, differentiating rational recovery from AA. He goes through yeah. the steps one by one and explains why they're not. You know, and and what Trimpy does say, okay, I laid we'll, them all out. Let's get into that in a second. But what he does say is, um, you know. At the time that he created Rational Recovery, there was only AA, right? Yeah. As a as a as a method of recovery, um, what he said is he wants to create a two party system where people who uh, are spiritually inclined inclined or you know have it, are okay with a relationship with God or whatever can go to the what he calls the faith healing of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he equates Alcoholics Anonymous with sort of like Christian science, like that yeah. praying away addiction is just ridiculous on its face if you don't believe in right. God or, you know, you're an agnostic. Um, and he says, well, okay, that's fine for for people that are into that. But for the people that are not, mm. you can't shove them into AA and, you know, where the, where the end result is believing in a, in a higher power or a God that's going to take away your your flaws of your personality and whatnot, right? Um, but this is another way. Right, right? you can't
2: pray away the gaze so to speak.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know, do, do you want to do the critique, his critique of AA before we get into the the program itself? Because the program is quite simple. It's really, you make the big plan, and then anything that, and then you listen to what your body is saying, right? And the little voice in your head. And, and when you when you say, as, as someone with an alcohol problem, I'm never drinking again. There's a little voice in your head that goes, well, "Never? What do you mean, never? Well, what about what about you know this, that, or the other thing?" And that little
2: voice inside your head is your addictive voice, right? right. That addictive voice. Um, yeah. Um, you know, one of the problems I have with the small book is I feel like, and and I agree with a lot of it, but it just feels like a hit piece on AA. Like I feel like he's you know, so it's he sounds like someone who was wounded in AA and has written this book to kind of get to them or to get back well, at them. He never so actually went to AA, but like I just feel like it was too much. He was much an alcoholic, like, but I don't know. Like, talk about your own program. He's just he, he really wrote this book to draw the distinction and point out all of the things that he found, you know, wrong with AA. Now, that's fine, but that's the reason there, there was so much, um, you know, uh, hubbub. Well, <laughs> about it. So many people were pissed off at this guy because they, you know, AA, a lot of people love it and it's their life and it's their friend circle and, you know. Which is fine. So which is fine. That's but in 1986,
1: there was no people, if you if you weren't, if you weren't in AA. Yeah, it wasn't like today. You know, uh, you know, in 86, it was before the Ninth Circuit ruled that you couldn't send people to AA through the courts because... Uh, it's a religious program, but back then, you know, you you would be forced into these uh, into twelve step meetings, yeah. whether you believed in it or not, and only to have people tell you that unless you believed in a higher power, you were doomed to end up in right. an institution or dead. So he he takes. Strong exception to A. There's other reasons why I think Jack Trimpey is a bit of an asshole, but I, I thought his takedown of AA wasn't terrible.
2: <laughs> to be honest, no. But I, I also wanted to say to all of our listeners that you know we were talking about this program and this um, call it a philosophy uh, of the small book. It's not necessarily our beliefs. Um, you know, it's just we're talking about it. We think it's important. Um, but if this upsets you, you know, I th- maybe you should think about why it upsets you. Like if we say if we say something about this program that you find like is goes against you personally because of your beliefs, mm-hmm. think about that. Why do you feel that way? Um, but you know, that's what this book is. So I understand this may upset some people, but I think it there's a lot of great stuff in here.
1: Well, if it's uh, one thing we believe in in recovering the Middle Ages, is that Uh, recovery is individual to the individual. Um, Not every method is going to work for every person. And I don't think AA is a one size fits all. I don't think it's appropriate for everybody. I don't think it's, I think in some, to some people it can be actually quite dangerous. Uh,
2: But, but you could say that about any recovery program, including rational recovery. Um, Yeah. I think maybe we talk about AVRT a little bit more um, like, um, you know, The definition of it. I mean, because he also does things like he calls the inner addict the beast. The beast. Um, So AVRT, uh, Addictive Voice Recognition Technique. Basically, your your addictive voice is anything that supports future drug or alcohol use. Trimpy called it the beast. Gabor Mate called it a hungry ghost. And it is very slick and persuasive. It provides all manner and rationalizations and justifications, e.g., It's no big deal. We can have a beer. How can I enjoy food without a glass of wine to bring out the flavors? I deserve a beer after working all day. Uh, Well, just have a couple of glasses. You know, you get the idea. The voice speaks in terms of we, which should cue you in that it isn't really you. This is so important. The voice that is you will speak in the eye and will have your best interests uh, in the forefront. And the other acronym that he talks about with AVRT is EVR. Mm -hmm. So he'll talk about this, and it's enemy voice recognition. Right. So this is the inner addict is a beast inside you that wants you dead. You have to think of it uh, in this way, uh, and you must recognize positive addiction ideas as not you, Uh, like it's someone else. That was a little confusing when I read it. Mm -hmm. What Basically, what a positive addiction idea is, that voice in your head that says, I can have just one. Right. Okay. And so, a lot of this program to me that was super important was you know understanding how to separate yourself. It's a little schizophrenic, but you know it's right. You that's what works for me. This is what I've been doing. Well, you you
1: you don't say uh, you don't say um, I want a drink. You you say it wants a drink. Right. Right. And, and cause all it wants, all that addictive voice wants is, is pleasure. I want to drink becomes, it wants a drink. Um, you, so, so like I was saying before, if you think to yourself, I will never drink again and then listen for the reaction, your the negative thoughts and feelings about never drinking again, are your addictive voice talking back to you. Yeah. So now if you think I will drink or use whenever I want, uh, the pleasant feelings about that are also your addictive voice, which is exerting control, right? So recovery, he says, it's not a process. It's, it's an event. Uh, and the magic word is never, uh, as in, I will never drink again. And, um, you know, s- sorting out, and of course both voices inside you are actually you, right? But what this is, is it's a, um, it's just a way of, it's like a, this is at its base, it's cognitive behavioral therapy, right? right. And you're taking that voice and you're assigning it, as a, as a part of you that is a negative and that you can identify and that you can defeat it by using the positive part of you. And the thing that really struck out to me about that whole way of looking at it is it's, it's extremely Buddhist in in approach because Hmm. it's sort of like you are not your body and you are not your thoughts. There is, there is something else that is you, right? Mm -hmm. So because, you know, people who say I have no control over my drinking, you know, well, you have control over your body. You have control over your arm. Right. You have control over picking up a glass and putting it to your mouth. Right. You have and you're not all those thoughts that tell you that you need to drink. Right. Right. That's not you. Because the real you doesn't want to drink.
2: Right. Um, I, I have a paranormal spin on this. Oh. So while I'm reading this, and you guys know I'm paranormal, I'm a paranormal nerd too. You are um, paranormal. <laughs> <So laughs> That's true. What I was thinking about was. I have in the past likened addiction to being possessed by a demon. Um and I was thinking um this sounds He mentions neat. that in the book. He, this sounds like y- you know if if it helps you to think of your inner addict as th- in demon. that way yeah. you're because pos- so, I when I look back on the things I did when I was active um and it you think man that wasn't me. Okay, if it wasn't you who was it? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. A Little creepy. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like all of these different philosophies about this stuff are sort of coming together. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's great about how we've studied all of these different modalities and philosophies over yeah. this past year, because I can now draw you know a line between them and look at you know those the unifying ideas. Uh, it's really cool. It is cool, um,
1: and the, the the fun part about something like like the addictive voice recognition, is that you can you can personify those thoughts and you can create a character, right, in your head. Mm-hmm. So like mine, I remember doing this back 20 years ago. I pictured it like a, like a disease decaying, like almost like a weird Muppet <laughs> in a tuxedo with a martini glass in his hand and a cigarette in the other hand telling me to drink. <laughs> so that was my personification. So anytime I would think, you know, if somebody of my addictive voice, that's what I would envision in my mind. And it helped me get a little clarity looking at it, you know?
2: Yeah. And, and I think that that is such a great way of looking at it. And I'd encourage you bunksters out there, um, write us at Mike R at middle ages recovery.com or in the private group post what you how you describe that inner addict like let's start thinking of our inner addict as like some kind of crazy like evil demon beast that you're trying to fight <laughs> you know what i mean so i'd be curious to to hear that um yeah but some sense it's
1: the only way to understand rational recovery is in opposition to traditional recovery right because yeah. Like, Trimpey says that the recovery movement is right on target by insisting that permanent abstinence is essentially essential to recovery, but it misses the boat by assuming that recovery is a process or a result of personal, spiritual, emotional, social, and psychological growth. In rational recovery, those worthwhile pursuits follow recovery and are made possible by your continuing abstinence. And, and that's not really an opposite to things that we've said before. Um, we have said that the real work begins when the drinking ends, right? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, you got to stop, you got to stop pouring the stuff down your throat first before you can deal with the other issues.
2: Yeah. He makes a good point while you're reading it. He says, you know, you know, these, all of these points that we make, uh, that we talk about um, will make sense to you. It's logical. But if you're still drinking, it's hard to think clearly, you know, and that's what we say too. You got to get, you got to get off the booze before you can, you know, be in a place to, to think rationally and make, better decisions for yourself because it it uh, reduces your ability to do that so that's a very good point which is sort of not
1: the aa way right because aa you got 12 steps and you got to go through the steps and some of those steps are (laughs) you know uh what about my character defects my selfishness my spiritual malaise my resentments how can i possibly stay clean and sober before i fix all that stuff and rational recovery says you fix all that stuff after Mm, right you know
2: um he actually lays out every step he lays out all twelve steps in the book mm-hmm. and then writes a retort to it. yeah, he does um, he does indeed. <laughs> I have written them all out with my thoughts. Would you like to go through those, or do you want to keep going no, on? Your notes?
1: go 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 through them because uh, I was going to do that and I was like,, oh, okay. I know so <laughs> I did it okay, <laughs> okay. Thank, you. thank,
2: thank you um step one, so what he does is he writes the twelve the steps out and then his little answer to them. So the first step, as you all know, of course, is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, Rational Recovery uh, says that it teaches addicts that they are not responsible. This is his retort mm-hmm. to that. It teaches addicts that they're not responsible for what they put into their mouths and that when they desire to, to drink occurs, it must be satisfied immediately. Learned helplessness can be a self-fulfilling Prophecy, Right. Um, and it really does damage when people leave AA and the person remembers what he was told. Right. So that sticks in your mind what? that you have no control and only a higher power can restore you to sanity. Well, he, it,
1: it really comes into play with relapse, right? Yeah. So if you go out and you have a a, a beer... And if you if you have the mindset that you are powerless over the disease, you're not going to stop after the first beer. You're You're going to have another. Like, well, I'm I'm powerless. Now I'm going to go drink 25 of them. If you haven't
2: pounded in your head that if I have a drink, I'll die, Um, and I hate it when people say that because no, you're not going to die. Only it's a self fulfilling prophecy, right? You know, um, and I found that once I changed that mindset, when I did have a couple of slips, I was able to just stop. Move Mm -hmm. on, right? Instead of now I've drank, now I'm fucked, now, um, you know, I don't have my higher power, there's nothing that can be done, right? And he says that that is extremely damaging. Um, self initiated sobriety is more common than people suppose. He says, What do you think about that? I think it's true because he's very (laughs) much against this idea that we need a higher power to restore us to sanity. Obviously, he's an atheist or agnostic, I'm a believer in God. But I'm also of the belief that if you ask God to move a mountain, you better bring a shovel. Mm-hmm. You better get to work. Um, and so reaching out for help is, in, is itself an act of control and will. Right. So, you know, you are taking that step. So you, you
1: are not powerless. You are assuming the power by by reaching out for help.
2: Unless you were court mandated.
1: <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, you know, I look to my own example, you know, I, I finally quit drinking when the 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 benefits of drinking were um, so vastly counterweighted by the negatives you know right. and, and he said that's rational thinking right <laughs> at that point you will you will rationally decide that you're what you're getting out of drinking is not worth the cost right right and some people that make uh, occur sooner and some people that may occur later it doesn't have to occur later but you, you don't have to bottom out is what he's
2: saying but right? uh, if you have a three thousand dollar a week heroin habit are you, before you can get there, mm-hmm. you got to go to detox. Right. You, gotta, you have so you will, much But, you, but to But you do. make
1: that decision to go to detox. Right. Most of the time. At, at some point. Or unless you, you've been arrested and thrown in a cell.
2: Right? Even then, though, after your mandate is over, you have to, a choice to make. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing I always worried about when I got finished, because I was testing all the time, you know, for like five years. What's going to happen when that testing isn't there? Where's my accountability? Um, step two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves was going to drive him nuts, could restore us to sanity. Is that faith healing? I mean, he says, I would that say step alone just says, you know, um, and I don't like how he characterizes God, you know, so, um, crassly, you know, he's very much like God is an imaginary person. An That's imaginary belief meaning. Right, it just he says it like no this is the facts. He doesn't say that like it's my belief. He says it like dear idiots. Well, right. you're dumb and I'm smart. Right. I'm well, smart and you're stupid. I mean, what what some so people I don't like consider
1: that. rational thought other people do not and which is you know. really the problem with the So the it's program. obvious
2: why this is pissing people <laughs> off, you know, cuz he's taking a shot at people's um but in any case he still makes good points. Um so he says, you know, so putting uh into the hands of this, you know, higher power um, is basically irresponsible to tell someone to take a chronic illness mm-hmm. and just try and pray it away. Right. You know, and that's, you know. He also doesn't believe in
1: the disease model, but that's. that's right. <laughs>
2: um, one thing he does bring up, which is a good point, is if you've been to AA, one of the things you hear is that um, it's a God of your understanding. So you have to believe in something so long as it's not you. And so, you know, commonly they'll say, listen, if you don't want to believe in God, just believe in a doorknob. Or for you, God is a group of drunks or good orderly direction, Mm. which is great to get people more involved in the program so they, they don't worry about that God thing for a bit. You know, you tell him it can, but then eventually, what uh, Trimpy says is this is a bait and switch. It this is. is a nefarious. Topic. It is
1: because people They're, don't recover unless they become a believer in the type of God that AA preaches is the God.
2: Right. So his his view is that this is misleading people. It's dishonest. Um, I can see where he's coming from. I don't know if if it's that um, deliberate, but maybe it is what's happening. Um, the third step is make a decision. To turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, going to piss him off, again, right? Same problem. As we understood him, if your higher power, if your higher power was a bedpan, he says, how can it restore you to sanity? Yeah, right. If your higher power is a, a doorknob, you're really expecting this doorknob to yeah. restore you to it's sanity. Irrational. It's irrational and it's absurd mm-hmm. um, because in order to go along with these twelve steps, you really have to believe in the 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 God their understanding. Mm -hmm. And that's what he says. Really, it should be the God of AA's understanding, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, I'm not opposed to because I'm a believer in the God of AA's understanding. So it's easy for me, but I understand that many people do not. Um, Okay, the the next step is, uh, what is it, fourth step? Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Yes. What do you think of that, Mike?
1: Uh, Well, I've gone on record to say that I don't think, you know, moralizing uh, has anything to do with, with recovery. I don't think um, making a, an inventory of your flaws and, and ways that you are supposedly a, 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 you know, an amoral person is, is productive. Uh, I think, if anything, it's, it's, it's self-destructive to do that.
2: Yeah. Um, and this can also be seen as confession.
1: Yeah, so he calls it confession. uh, The book,
2: and he does it deliberately to further compare AA to. um, Sorry, I messed up your outline. I was trying to pull. No,
1: it's you know, I I guess because the point is like, okay, it's great if you want to do that, but does this mean that only people who are moral get to recover? What about people who (laughs) who are not moral? Are they incapable of not of abstaining from drugs and alcohol?
2: Yeah, he he makes a leap there that I thought wasn't necessarily accurate. Where you know confessing, like, you know, when you put it that way, yeah, it sounds like religion, prayer, confession, and faith, right? And that's a lot of it. But I think I've gotten a lot out of, you know, telling, you know, getting it out. I think there is a benefit. He doesn't believe there's really a benefit to kind of telling someone else, like, here's what I've done. And, you know, and just getting that feeling that it's out and that someone out there is forgiving you like that God. And while it's irrational, maybe for uh, Mr. Trimpy, that idea helps a lot of us move forward. When I pray for forgiveness every, you know, every time I do, I do feel like a little bit lighter.
1: Hmm. Now, I don't, I don't believe that you can pray to God for things. No, I don't think you can pray for, but you can say, sorry, you can, you can say, sorry. And you're really sure.
2: saying sorry to yourself. And even if that's all that it is, I think that's important. That's just my opinion, okay. but
1: I mean that's cool, man. I mean that that's why AA resonates with with you more than some other programs.
2: But the know? moral inventory, um, that's where we're talking about. Are we a good person? You're telling all of the things that we're bad, and he says, "Is your moral inventory really important to treating alcohol dependence?" No, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think <laughs> it, it was. It's the, okay,
1: but but then you but then you're you're taking this thing and you're putting it in the realm of the spirit, right? Rather than. You know, and I, yeah, I don't see, think you need to do that to recover.
2: I have a hard time with it because I relied on my view of the spirit. I, I
1: think spirituality can be incredibly important to recovery if if that's your belief system,
2: you know. Exactly. But like he makes a good point when just, he says... Yeah, it's just me. Oh, <laughs> it says, do diabetics have to take a moral inventory? Yeah, right. right. Uh, you must humble yourself in AA, but um, rational recovery thinks it's BS. Um, See, you know what's
1: inconsistent about that though. Using that example is because he also believes that there is no disease of alcoholism. That yeah. addicts have a getting high problem. They don't have a, a, you know, that that it's the relentless pursuit of pleasure is what creates uh, addiction. That it's essentially a, a you know, it's it's yeah. a, it's a selfish act. It's not it's not a disease, but yet then he's saying, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's it's, it's a get, little contradictory. But I, we I
2: get think. the point. Yeah. Um the next step, um, I forget what step we're on, five maybe. Admit it to and this is when you say it to another person. Admit it to the God, to ourselves, yeah. and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. In the AA program, you do a step four, which is where you make lists of this stuff. Step five is when you tell it to somebody else. Um, you know, and there's the idea of by confessing, you receive forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, so God says you're still a good person, even though, you know, you've done these things. The fact that you've confessed and asked for forgiveness, this is somehow makes it better. So only good people get to recover. Right. Like what about, you know, assholes who aren't sorry? Can <laughs> <Right>. they recover? <laughs> right. Um, some of us would say no, that, you know, until you evolve past being that type of person, maybe you can't really recover. Mm. Maybe.
1: He, I, I mean, but, but those are such foundational um Beliefs in the recovery movement that really are not grounded in any sort of science or anything. You
2: know, I mean, faith is beyond science, Mike. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. And and should a faith program beyond Hence, science have something to do with recovery? I don't know. I mean, maybe, but not to people who don't believe.
2: So that's where this is fitting in. I mean, he though- calls
1: he calls like some a lot of this the uh, he calls it the PBS thing. It's the psycho babble bullshit syndrome. <laughs>
2: I mean, he's doing plenty of psycho babble here. Um, The next. Yeah, he's a
1: certified social worker and a counselor, right? I mean. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, The next step is a really good one for him to go berserk on. (laughs) The next step is we're entirely, I guess, step six. uh, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Mm -hmm. Um, Non religious people find this offensive um, because. It requires a miracle so what he's saying is this step suggests this is the faith healing part that you the only way you get recovery or recovered is by a spiritual miracle Mm -hmm. otherwise known as a spiritual awakening right um you know do miracles happen often enough to be a pillar of a drug treatment program that is ubiquitous and pushed by the legal system um, but you can be entire, can you be entirely ready? You know, um, that's another part of that step that he goes berserk on. Yeah. You know, um, what does that mean? Entirely ready? Well, I guess Do we- your
1: sponsor tells you when you're entirely ready.
2: Right? But he, so his contention is the idea that there's this super being that loves you and cares for you that would withhold this miracle. Mm-hmm until you were quote entirely what if you're partially ready you don't get the miracle you have
1: to be the only way you can be entirely ready is by making a list of your moral inventories and confessing them to god so again it's it's circular god logic which, is illogical. Um, which doesn't
2: work for atheists and agnostics. And that's why we're talking about this. I mean, like I said, it
1: doesn't work for Buddhists. It doesn't work for anybody that doesn't believe in a monotheistic. Yeah, uh,
2: this, these are not my, my views. Um, but a lot of this does make sense. And that's why we're talking about it. Um, Okay, the next step um, The next step is humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. It's just another example of mm-hmm. AA sobriety being supernatural miracles, not a product of our self-determination. The idea of personal choice is absent, he says. By becoming morally good people, we will become sober. Mm-hmm. And alcoholism is a spiritual deficit that can only be remedied by this deity. So he is very much... Um, latching on to this, um, you know, to him, this is a very big problem. And of course, if you don't believe in God, none of this stuff will make sense for you. Right. You know, and that's what he's just saying here. Um, the next step made a list uh this is, I think, step With people eight.
1: who would be harmed and be willing to make amends until to, unless such amends would cause somebody. Even, right.
2: Yeah. These next two steps are really done together. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it's just like step four and five where you make a list and then you take an action. So this is, you know, you make a list and then you take an action, which is the famous step that you see in movies, people making amends. You know, some old drunk who's now sober. You get a knock on the door, and someone you haven't seen since they, you know, stole your wife, your car, and right. you know, whatever. And, um, and, but he doesn't like this. This is another thing. Um, Trimpy doesn't like confession and he doesn't like, uh, asking for forgiveness to anyone. And I, I think that's a mistake, you know, uh, it's, important. well, what's his argument why you shouldn't do it? So he says, okay, but the point he makes, he's just throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. He says AA is forever because you have to continually take your personal inventory, right? All the time, and you know, he says members dwell on their stories. In other words, you're continually thinking about these things, making lists of everything you've done wrong, and they dwell on stories um, of of members who tried it on their own, and then went back out and ruined their lives. Okay, mm-hmm. um, that was incongruous. So, uh, he, well, I,
1: I mean, the goal of rational recovery is to recover. And then forget about recovery and go out and live your life. Right. Right. Which is so this constant reminder, this constant like every time I'm wrong, I have to acknowledge it and I have to go apologize to somebody. Like it's just a constant reminder that you live in this state of um you know constant yeah. recovery and constant, you know. And and he said that that's not the goal. And and to that end, I mean, rational recovery used to have meetings. They used to have meetings all over the country. And then in like twenty fourteen, Trumpy was like He pulled the plug. He called all of the people who were running the meetings and said, this is not what we do. We do not perpetuate the addiction cycle by having people return to meetings time after time. Uh, That's not rational recovery. So
2: he disbanded all the meetings, and there are now no more of them. That's really interesting. (laughs) Um, You know... um, yeah, that's weird. He uh, One of the big points that he's making here is um, that people will relate to because anyone who's been in recovery meetings uh, or recovery knows that um, you hear them say this. Anytime you get a question about leaving or you're like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. They've got stories of, Oh, you know, I knew this one guy, you know, as soon as he left, he went out and got killed, Right. you know, he drank himself to death. There's a famous story in the big book, um, that everybody will, you know, cite when they're, when they're saying something like this. Um, you probably know it out there. It's the one where the guy, he decides to stop drinking for his career. And then for 30 years, he doesn't drink. He retires. Starts drinking, three years later he's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they put these stories in people's heads or these anecdotal evidence, basically, or I know a guy, or, <laughs> you know. Anecdotes are not evidence. The, the other thing they would say is, <laughs> I, I've i never heard of somebody going back out and then coming back in on a win. Nobody comes into AA on a win, winning streak. You know, that's what they say. Okay. Well, maybe so. the
1: reason they went out in the first place was because of AA, not, not because they didn't, you know, completely, maybe they were constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. The chicken what or the AA egg. Say. The chicken or the egg. Right? Um. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, is is the failure then
2: the program or the person? I don't know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Me either. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation. I'm going to piss him off. To improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Yeah. Um, so okay. each member is expected to become an agent of God. AA adherents become serene through meditation and prayer, or salvation through faith. Uh, he also calls serenity the peace which passeth, which the peace which passeth all understanding, and is repeated as a powerful hedge against alcoholic relapse. Um, that's that serenity. We talk about serenity a lot. Um, there's the serenity prayer, mm-hmm. um, and um, he he also points out that in this step, he says, as we understand him, God as we understand him is used. But the God they refer to is extremely specific. So this is him pointing out yet again that, look, there's this debate in switch. They're saying God as you understand him, but what they really mean is something completely different. Right. And that, you know, they're going to trick you and all of that stuff. So he's very against that. Um, the... Uh, the thing with Trimpy, you know, th- th-
1: this idea that you can just make a plan and then stop, and then stay stopped because you know how to deal with your addictive voice, is a little simplistic to me. Do you yeah. think? And and I I went back and I listened to some interviews with him, like that he did for other podcasts. Like he hasn't he did done some inter- serious research. He hasn't done interviews since any later than like twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, years I could figure out after he sort of got rid of the. The recovery groups i don't know if that's because he wasn't making enough money because avrt is definitely a branded product that Mm. he and his wife came up with to sell um but he wasn't doing enough with it and when he canceled all the meetings there was some people from from rational recovery that went out and started smart recovery no shit yeah So, 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 so rational recovery is is basically like the grandparent of smart recovery. Wow. Uh, cause they're both cognitive behavioral therapy. I think there's addictive voice exists in smart recovery as well, but, um, I want to do another episode on smart recovery. We should. There's somebody actually reached out to me who, who, uh, goes to smart recovery meetings and wanted to know if we wanted to talk to them. So let's, let's do that. But, yeah, but there's some of the criticisms of, of rational recovery that, you know, sat kind of you know, that resonated with me where they don't b- really believe that the subconscious has anything to do with it, that the, that the subconscious is calling the shots, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think you, without sort of dealing with the stuff that's lurking under the surface, right. you may be able to quit, but can you stay quit? Right. You but know? that's
2: part of the confession. That's part of Telling someone else—that's part well, of writing it all down. I don't down. know if you I don't know it.
1: if that's really what what's going on in the subconscious. That's how you get you know? your,
2: because, by definition, subconscious is below your consciousness.
1: Yeah. How do you get to those things? But maybe know? not sitting down and writing out a, a list of your of your moral failings. Well, maybe mean, that's not how you get
2: there. Maybe not? therapy is how you get there. What do you do in therapy? You don't write you, out a list of your moral failings. You say it out loud. You, maybe the things you've done wrong, you right. have to give them a history. Or, or How can you understand a well, person because, without that?
1: Because in Jungian therapy, what you do is you, you try and bring... You do something called shadow work therapy where there's this other part of you that you're suppressing that you kind of deal with and you try and bring that out into the light through talk therapy, but... The enemy voice. Well, maybe, maybe or it's just the the parts of you... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he also... Uh, shit all over the Sinclair method in this interview I listened to oh, because really? he doesn't believe that medically assisted treatment is is yeah. something that should be engaged in to, I, to quit and that, that you should just out. be able to muscle your way to
2: quitting. That, that stuck out to me where he said that about antabuse. He talks about antabuse a little bit in the part that I read. And uh, I am a firm believer in medication, medicated assessment treatment. Yeah. I think if it helps you
1: stop uh, and stay stopped for a while until you can get your head screwed on straight, then great. And then the other issue that I have with him is uh, like, he wants nothing to do with the idea that adverse childhood experiences have led you to drink. He thinks drinking is based solely the pursuit of pleasure. And I just wanted to play a little excerpt of him on another podcast uh, on this podcast called Safe Recovery. It's by this woman who, um, (laughs) she apparently was 13-stepped in a really bad way in AA, and she's dedicated her life to tearing the edifice of AA down, (laughs) torpedoing, and then salting the earth afterwards. But anyway, uh, so this is Jack talking about why uh, adverse childhood experiences should have nothing to do with recovery. So just listen. Uh,
0: I've I've felt pain as a child I felt cold terror as a child and these are part things that are part of life and which uh, do not cause adult problems I you know this is a rather you know, a big contradiction to the the, uh, the mystery of victimhood that has swept through our culture but uh, adults you know, childhood problems are um, not down there, smoldering, waiting to smite us. And people have an option to rejoice that the childhood is over or to dwell upon it and say this is the cause of my adult problems. And-
2: I don't know. So he's completely dismissing childhood trauma. I mean, that's yeah, absurd. It
1: seems like he's completely dismissing childhood trauma. So
2: that's that's a problem that with this rational recovery is that he'll. It's there's stuff he says that I completely disagree with, and and some of the stuff is I think very useful. Take what you want and leave the rest.
1: And what what about the idea that you know if he if as he says the drinking is always a choice. Um,
0: well, if and,
1: drinking is always a choice, then stigma against people that continue to drink despite right. destroying their families would seem to be completely validated and warranted, right?
2: He even says, <laughs> much like Dr. Carl Hart, that heroin is not addictive in itself.
1: Well, well he all, he cited the uh, the Vietnam.
2: Right. Thing. Everybody's like that is one thing. Like since then, there's been a body of evidence that not only is heroin physically addictive, on top of being psychologically addictive. I went through it myself. So this idea that, you know, one day you can just change your thinking and then not withdraw. I mean, he, I don't know. He does I, seem to have,
1: you know, the, the idea of like, what is rational thought? Is there objective rational thought or is it subjective? You know, well, some
2: people think everything is subjective.
1: Right? Well, I mean, this is rational thought according to Jack Trimpey, right? This program. Right. Right. So your childhood experiences are bullshit. Uh, you know um, medication is a crutch that's just going to prolong you know, actual the, recovery. This is what right? j- this is what Jack thinks is uh, is rational thought right. it, so it, but is it supported that. by evidence? You know, I don't know. I mean and then that a little li- study, you know. A little later on in that interview, somebody um, says, "Well, uh, what about what about like cuz he he made some reference in, in his last book to um, you can use the avrt technique for other things like uh if you if you <laughs> if your kids gay or something you know he says that well uh so, he, he it doesn't seem like he believes in biological determinism when it comes to sexuality but but rather believes in something called family values and oh, and this they is and the family values book. contain the remedy for for addiction um Ugh. so you know I think the AVRT technique is is extremely valid. Yeah. I think it's a great way to sort of separate your addictive thinking, but I don't know I don't know if I I get behind all of Jack Trimpey's philosophy of yeah. life, you know, and that and the idea that childhood trauma is all and you know ways of addressing that are all psychobabble. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really He hadn't even heard of the of of the Sinclair method uh, when he was interviewed in 2011, and and one of the callers said, "You know, it really helped me." And and the guy was like, "Well, why?" Trumpy was like, "Well, why would you ever use medication to, you know, to solve a a a substance to solve a substance abuse problem?" And that to me sounds like it's right out of AA. That's what they say, (laughs) right? Um. So there's a lot of inconsistencies in in the in the program, and and I think. If you do, if you do, go out and buy these this guy's books, you know, <clears throat> take what you are reading with a grain of salt, and and just realize that this was sort of like a nascent movement to sort of separate recovery writ large from Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And, and in that respect, it was it was successful. It did give birth to Smart Recovery. It get, you know, it probably was was the the grandfather of Annie Grace, uh, you know, and, sure. and all cognitive behavioral therapy that right. that, that flowed flowed from it, but. Um, but Jack's a little bit of a strange duck and he's got some odd ideas, so keep that in mind if, if you're you know
2: <laughs> yeah well, I mean p- part of his whole thing is comparing aA to, um, to uh, Christianity directly, and that somehow that invalidates it. Um, and so well,
1: then then where does he get family values from though? aren't family values? in America based on Judeo-Christian values anyway. So so maybe you don't believe in God as an individual entity, but you certainly seem to be willing to pick up the value system that that yeah. that drops in your lap. And if, if that's the case, then why are you so against the, you know, working through a, a, right. a, a values-oriented recovery program? It just, there's some
2: inconsistencies. Yeah. Oh. Um, but he, he caps off his 12-step Sorry, uh, evisceration, basically, his attack on the 12 steps uh, with the final step. Uh, and it's like the final like gotcha comparison, I think mm-hmm. to uh, Christianity that he doesn't like. And the 12th step is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, so he says, is a spiritual awakening different from religious conversion? If so, in what ways he says, if not, and the awakening occurred as a result of these steps, is not the AA program a religious doctrine of redemptive, redemption and salvation? If 12-steppers try to practice these steps in all their affairs, are they not practicing the religious life? Are many substance abusers really good candidates for this? Great question. If other AA members try to, quote, carry the message to other alcoholics, aren't they proselytizing or witnessing for an evangelical faith? All great points. Uh, I, I mean, there's there's some of that in there, but I don't I mean, think it's disqualifying the entire program. though. No,
1: no. But I mean, he also goes out there and calls addicts uh, at one point anti-family monsters, which are count, <coughs> counter to evo- counter to evolution. So, um, there's, you know. so where do you get the I? You know, I don't know. It's there's inconsistencies, but uh, um, but I you know. somebody quote uh, in one of the. Forums I read uh, said something I thought was interesting. They said um, I think Anthony Bourdain applied AVRT without knowing it. Uh, He he said I understand there's a guy inside of me who wants to lay in bed, smoke weed all day, and watch cartoons and old movies, and my whole life is a series of stratagems to avoid and outwit that guy. Mm. Right?
2: Yeah. This is a natural defense technique. That's
1: that's it in a nutshell, right? I mean, a lot of people are doing that, you know, including myself, but. You know, if you have a a formal hook like AVRT to hang it on, you know, maybe that's helpful, so.
2: Um, Well, I I think we could do more shows in this. I don't know if we want to. Um, We've got to move on right now, though. Um, Yeah. I I recommend it, you know, these techniques, I think, Maybe this should inspire you to check out Smart Recovery, I think is the better, Mm. which is a more evolved version of it, Um, you know.
1: You want to read the book, you know, read the book. It's very
2: interesting, and I got a lot out of it. It just reinforced some of my own techniques that I had developed as far as the, um, the enemy voice, you know. And all of that, so we just recommend you look at, look into it. I am, read the book. Try not to get too pissed off, you know. I had to put it down a couple of times and like take <laughs> a deep breath, like this guy is completely assaulting my faith, you know. But <laughs> just it, you have to look past it. it Realize that you know there's a
1: reason that this um, method is not around in its original form so much
2: anymore, right? right? And that's what we studied today. This yeah. is the genesis of you know, and and that's as they say is that. Um, with that, it's time for... Ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? A little bit. Recovering the news. Yeah! Right. Recovering in the news. Recovering in the news. Recovering. Recovering in the news. Motherfucker. Yeah. Before we start. Yeah. Our very favorite Rendition of Recovery in the News it was done <laughs> by our friend Ryna, Ryan. <laughs> what an, and an excellent version it was.
0: And um, <laughs> we're
2: so happy to have that. Um, I just wanted to give you guys an update. As you know, he went to, uh, he finally was able to get into a recovery, uh, a rehab. Um, he had a little snafu. They didn't have a bed quite yet, but he was able to stay on the couch. He's waiting, right? Uh, he's waiting at this. His recovery counselor's like house. They're putting him up until there's a bed available. Um, and the person he's staying with's wife actually runs the rehab. Um, he's getting through this kratom and crack addiction and, um, actually maybe crack. He said he quit a while ago, but yeah, um, he still struggles with these things and he's going to an AA clubhouse during the day while they're at work. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, he got through most of the withdrawal. He is having some trouble. It's very difficult for him, but he's staying the course um, and Ryan, we are rooting for you. Keep updating us. Yes, we got sir. your message. We're going to play it on the Christmas special. Um, and, um, yeah, we're, you, we're, uh, we're rooting for you. You spoke to him yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Me yeah. too. We, yeah. uh, <clears throat> he's determined to he, continue. He is.
1: And, uh, you know, he had some very nice things to say about our podcast and, uh, all right. So, you know, along those lines, I was talking to him about, uh, heart palpitations and recovery and, uh, <laughs> I was going to do a story in Recovery in the News on uh, the fact that only alcohol uh, triggers an AFib condition, not a lack of sleep or caffeine or diet, uh, to sort of bring out yet another reason why people should quit drinking. But hot off the presses, you're changing uh, the recovery. I'm changing in the, the news? Recovery in the News,
2: going off the outline. I'm, uh,
1: I'm going off the outline sure because you want to do that. a grant, our uh, you know, our, our newssmith. Or, if is, is <laughs> that a the, word?
2: He's the editor at large. He's the editor at large of the RMA newsroom, the RMA
1: newsroom uh, posted something this morning. Playbook. Uh, I'm breaking the story here. Uh, me and People Magazine are breaking the story. Demi Lovato says that uh, they, I guess she is a they, uh, are no longer California sober. Okay. What sober, she? sober. She's in real sober? Or, or, yeah. Lovato had previously spoken about opting for smoking marijuana in moderation. Um, but remaining sober from alcohol. Actually, I thought her California sober included some alcohol. Yeah, I did right? too. I think People Magazine got that one wrong. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time. But um, <laughs> So Demi Lovato is going to be sober sober. On Thursday, the 29-year-old singer announced that she would no longer be California sober, a term describing those who choose not to, who choose to use marijuana, but remain sober from alcohol and instead opt for full sobriety. Lovato's personal approach to California sobriety differed from the typical definition since they previously stated they also drink in moderation. I no longer support my California sober ways," she wrote on Instagram. (laughs) Sober, sober is the only way to be. Um, Huh. So, is sober, sober the only way to be?
2: She's saying for everyone? She says for everyone. I wonder. I don't believe in saying stuff like that. Yeah. Everything's for everyone. I mean, I agree that Sober, sober is the best thing for me. Right. You know, probably if you had the same problems I did, it could probably be helpful to you too. But if you got another way through, God bless. Mm. It's all about being happy and healthy.
1: Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, uh, right. Exactly. I mean, for me, abstinence is the way.
2: Um, this is the way. This is the way. Um. Demi Lovano,
1: but recovery is not isn't a one size all fits all solution. Uh, you shouldn't be forced to get sober if you're not ready. You shouldn't get sober for other people. You have to do it for yourself. Uh, that was her quote. So I, yeah,
2: people say that a lot, and and I agree with it mostly. If you're not doing it for yourself, you're not going to do it. Um, for me, I mean, ultimately, that's true. Um, but. If um, my kids and my wife uh, were a huge, uh, a huge inspiration, let's say, you know, those were things I kept in the front of my mind. But until I was like, I want this mm-hmm. for real. I'm not just saying it to fulfill some kind of obligation with the court. That's when it really uh, worked. Let so, me so. ask you this: Yeah,
1: does intent have anything to do with this? Because there are people who are prescribed medical marijuana you know for a chronic pain condition let's say mm-hmm. and take it as directed or what have you and they one of the unfortunately one of the byproducts of consuming THC is that you get a little bit high yeah but your intent is not to get high your intent is to manage your chronic pain and then you have somebody else that smokes pot to get high
2: well you is have Is there to, a difference it comes down to honesty we talk about honesty all the time it, it is a pillar i think of anybody that's something that's i don't think negotiable i think in order to get where you want to go, wherever that is, you have to be honest with yourself. And that's going to come down to personal honesty. You know, you can tell me and Mike whatever you want about why you're doing something. Mm -hmm. You could say, I'm just doing this because it's medication. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not getting hot, whatever. What it comes down to is you know what's really going on. Are you being honest with yourself? And if you honestly are doing it for that reason and you know it, you know, I used to know when I was lying to myself, I knew I was doing it and then I would go along with it just to kind of rubber stamp whatever behavior I was doing. So once I was honest with myself for real, you know, and and then maybe in that case, maybe it's okay. I don't know. It depends know. on how much. I, I saw a post, I think it was Dopey Nation. This person was saying, you know, I've been sober for, I forget how long, eight months or something. And I do this and this and this. And she had named all of these recovery activities. Mm -hmm. And then she also said, and I smoke weed all day. Mm. All day. Why am I so anxious? (laughs) I'm doing so much work for my recovery. (laughs) You know what? And I was just dumbfounded. And I'm like, wow, can you be that? Like, um, can you be misleading yourself so much? Denial. that, That you can even write something like that and not see this obvious, I smoke weed all day. Like. You know, if you're doing that, I mean, it's proven to create anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. You're going to be withdrawing from the tea when you're doing that much. So that's a good, uh, uh, you know, example of self dishonesty. I think. Uh, and once you, once she read all of the, the uh, uh, comments, which were a lot nicer than uh, <laughs> than I expected them to be, I was just trying to really like carefully point out like all that stuff you're doing is great. You know, maybe you ought to back off a little bit on the tea, on the smoking weed. I, mm-hmm. you know, take it back. Like the the point I made was, and she said it's my medicine, and I said I have high blood pressure. Right, I take only one blood pressure pill every morning. Right, I don't take my lisinopril all day long. So, you know, mm-hmm. you have to just be honest with yourself, guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, i th- I think if you are uh, taking medical marijuana, or and, and that's what works for your chronic pain. And getting a little high is a side effect of that medication, just like other medications have side effects. Um, I don't see a problem with it nope. at all. Um, but if you're taking more than your recommended dosage, or you're taking it on days when you don't have pain, because and how could you smoke
2: a- weed all day and then do all of the well, recovery activities she said she was doing?
1: Well, there's you can take a small edible or something. You know, there's there's all different. Yeah. You know, but I think we're talking about two different things. I think we're talking about you know in a medical state where you get medication for a specific thing, or you're talking about somebody that is self-smoking pot because they think it helps their mental state. You know? Right. Those are two very, very different things. It is.
2: You know? So, self-honesty. Anyway. And uh, go from there. Covering the news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember, this is all live. Yes, it is. <laughs> we'll no it editing live. today. We'll do it live. Okay, weak and weird. Ugh. See, that's the problem with we're Yeah, life. we're rushing, we're yeah, rushing. Weak rushing. Uh, and weird. Man who dreams of becoming a, quote, black alien has two fingers removed to turn <laughs> his hand into a claw. <laughs> and there's pictures, too. The pictures what? are amazing. The pictures are amazing. It's one of these body modification dealies. Um, no oh, God's sake. Tattoo and body modification maniac... Anthony Lofredo has taken his ambition to become a black alien to a whole new level. The man uh, shocked his followers. He's got a lot of Instagram followers. After showing that he's cut off, surgically, two of his fingers to turn his hands into three-clawed fingers. What doctor would do that i don't know they have pictures of him in the hospital and everything he captioned his post i think he's from another country where they do whatever he <laughs> captioned his post sharing with his seven hundred seventy thousand followers what quote on the other side of the world to continue my project the procedure is going well one more dream that has just come true thank you for doing your top job thank you mexico from my heart um the graphic images and they, they have pictures of this Uh, showed that the man has two fingers removed. It looks crazy, too, Um, from his left hand, and he has another plan in the near future to remove another two on his other hand. Um, There's a mix of reactions under the post where some were impressed while others were aghast. One user in disbelief wrote, Oh, my God, you did it. I didn't believe it, but it's true. I hope your body will adapt. (laughs) But uh, another read, blatant disrespect to those who are unfortunate to have lost limbs and look for ways to function as the human body should. Another one, you're 100% going to regret this one eventually. No shit. Yeah. Here's <laughs> another fucked up part of this. He had his nose removal procedure done in Spain earlier this year. He made himself look like Skeletor, basically. Well,
1: no one tell this guy that he's suffering from a severe mental illness <laughs> that needs treatment.
2: No, because everyone's truth is true.
1: Uh, fuck that. Right. I don't know why
2: you would... Your truth is the wh- truth. Why you my would truth is
1: willingly truth. make
2: it harder for you to wipe your own ass by taking fingers off makes no sense to me. Because deep down inside, he's this black alien and he won't feel complete until he has achieved this vision of who he truly is. You know, we could go a long way down that rabbit hole, but yep. I do not
1: think that that's where we should go.
2: Um, the last quote he says... Um, his last post, uh, that when he was posting his nose removal, he <laughs> praised a body modification shop and said, now I can walk with my head high. Thanks to you, I am proud of what we did together. Head high without a nose. Uh, yeah. Um, you got to see these pictures. And tell us what you think about this. This is something that's, you know, in our society right now, this like, whatever you feel is right. Um, Your truth is the truth. My truth is the truth. It's all objective. I want to know how you monsters feel about this. (laughs) This can go in a million different ways. Uh, Mike R. uh, at (laughs) (laughs) MiddleAgesRecovery.com. And that's the show, guys. Um, You ever see
1: like... uh, Weak and weird. On Facebook. We have to do the closing. Just one second. You ever see how on Facebook they have like uh, a picture of a guy with like his whole face is tattooed and nose rings and everything. And they're always like, describe this guy in one word. And the first comment is usually unemployed. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, if you
2: have, um, anyway, that, Sorry. About, that yeah. about does it for today. I know I had a great time. I cannot believe we pulled this off. We haven't pulled it off yet. No, we have to get it posted. That's yeah, we're going to yeah. run like hell to try and do this. I had a great time to do, Thanks so much yes. for listening. Visit us you at middleagesrecovery.com, middle Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at Twat. You twit. Yeah, do that. Support your favorite show. Buy a t-shirt. Drop a five-star review. Join our private group. Uh, or just write us. Say hello say couple of people have, say been, hi. Yeah, people have been reaching out to us, having a little trouble. You know, we're not doctors and we're not professional therapists, but we no. can help and support you in any way that we can. We will do that. Um, if you get something out of our little show, please share it with a friend and help grow the RMA movement. Right. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good.
0: Be good.